Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. This week, in a surprise to many, a judge vacated the murder conviction of Adnan Syed, who had been serving a life sentence for the murder of his former high school girlfriend, Heyman Lee. Syed was the subject of the hit podcast, Serial. An investigation found that prosecutors failed to turn over evidence that could have helped him and pointed to two possible alternative suspects. What's next in this case? Prosecutors have 30 days to drop charges or try him again. For all this news, we'll speak to Michael Levinson, reporter at the New York Times. It really did shock a lot of people because, you know, prosecutors have spent 20 years standing by these charges and defending them through all sorts of legal twists and turns. And then beginning last week, they filed a motion to vacate the conviction. And they said that they had over the last year or so worked with Mr. Syed's own lawyer to reinvestigate the case and had no longer had any confidence in the conviction. They said they had discovered two possible alternative suspects who may have been involved and discovered information that was never turned over to Mr. Syed's own lawyers that could have helped him at trial. And that's a a violation of their legal duty and reason enough to question the conviction. So there was all sorts of problems in the original investigation that they had uncovered. And they said they just can't stand by it anymore. And they're questioning it and they believe it needs to be overturned. And the judge on Monday agreed. Yeah, the whole thing, and you know, obviously, we, as I mentioned, it'd be, it was chronicled in the Serial podcast. There was an HBO special about it as well. Just a lot of mm-hmm. unreliable witness statements, unreliable cell phone mm-hmm. evidence is what they also pointed to. The timeline yep. was murky. And as you mentioned, now these two possible alternative suspects. So that's the new thing here. What do we know about these suspects? What we know is that they were known to the investigators when they were first looking into this crime back in 1999. So they're not new characters that hadn't been investigated, but they had not been properly ruled out. And one of them was overheard saying he would kill Ms. Lee and that he would make her disappear. And both of these suspects also have criminal records, including convictions for rape, sexual assault. Ms. Lee's car was also found near a family member 
of one of the suspects. So there's all sorts of evidence pointing, according to prosecutors, to these two suspects who may have had motive and means to kill Ms. Lee. And police actually have opened an investigation looking into these two suspects now. So the next step, prosecutors can uh, either try him again or drop the charges completely. Uh, Apparently, they're waiting on some type of DNA analysis before they decide what's going to happen there. That's right. Um, Marilyn Mosby, the state's attorney for Baltimore City, said yesterday that they're looking for some DNA results before they make their final determination on whether to proceed with a new trial or just drop the charges. So we'll wait to see what comes out of that. It's hard to imagine that they could proceed with a new trial after they detailed all of the problems with the case in their own filings. They've basically sided with the defense in questioning the whole basis for their case. So it would be very hard to bring it to a trial again, unless something really surprising happens with these DNA results or we see some huge shift over the next 30 days. The family of Ms. Lee has been speaking out in all of this, too, because, you know, all of this has been kept pretty tightly, obviously. You know, no one wants to throw all their cards out at once. And so Ms. Lee's brother has spoken out about this, saying, you know, this is a never-ending nightmare for 20-plus years. They're not Mm -hmm. very happy with what's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, Ms. Lee's brother spoke at the hearing yesterday via Zoom, and he was asking the judge not to reject the petition to throw out the conviction, but to delay it, to give, to postpone it, basically saying we haven't had enough time to absorb this, to respond. He said we feel blindsided by it and we feel betrayed by it. You know, we've been hearing from the prosecutors for 20 years that they stand by this case, they defend it, and then all of a sudden we hear just over the last couple of days that they no longer have confidence in. So it's just been incredibly painful whiplash for the family. And, you know, he said, this is not a podcast for me. This is a nightmare, like you said, that I've been living for 20 plus years. And he said, it's killing me and it's killing my mother. So obviously an incredible amount of pain for the family. At the same time, they didn't formally oppose the motion to vacate. They said they believe in the justice system and they believe that an investigation should proceed. Yeah. I mean, just a tough position for the family. Obviously, they want closure at this point, mm-hmm. and they haven't been getting it, as as her brother mentioned, for 20 years. Now, and just right. a, another uh, interesting thing of all this is, you know, how do we get here, right? He's been convicted. You know, it's been going back and forth so much. But there's a Maryland law that was adopted uh, that allows people convicted of crimes as juveniles to request that their sentences be modified after they serve 20 years in prison. Uh, Adnan Syed has served over 20 years now, and he went in when he was 18, I believe, but this happened when he was 17. So this is one of the mechanisms that kind of allowed us to get here. That's right. So although, you know, podcasters and, you know, HBO shows and, and a book have, and others have been you know looking into this case, the prosecutors didn't really take it up until this petition was brought to them last year by Mr. Syed's lawyer saying he deserves to have his sentence looked at again because he did go in as a juvenile and he served 20 years. And, you know, as this petition was brought to them, prosecutors start to look into the question of, okay, what is his culpability in this case? You know, what what is proper in terms of a sentence? And do we want to seek a modification as they begin to dive deeper into the case? The doubts and questions begin to come up even more and they go through the old files they discover these old files pointing to these two alternative suspects, and it opens up a you know can of worms, for lack of a better phrase, in the yeah. whole case. And they begin it begins to fall apart, and they ask the judge to vacate this conviction. Michael Levinson, reporter at the New York Times, thank you very much for joining us. All right, thank you very much. Take care. This week, we're also hearing about all the political fallout after migrants were flown from Texas to Martha's Vineyard last week. 
Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida has waded into the story as his administration chartered a plane to fly 48 immigrants there at a cost of $615,000. What has happened now is that some of the migrants have filed a lawsuit saying they were lured to take flights there through fraud and misrepresentation, and a Texas sheriff has opened an investigation into the legality of the move. For what to know about all this, we'll speak to Gary Finout, reporter at Politico. A week ago, basically, you had two flights that started out of San Antonio, Texas. They made a couple of stops on the way, including Florida, and then they wound up in Martha's Vineyards. And 48 people were on the planes, and basically they were migrants who had crossed into the country. Apparently, most of them are Venezuelan. A lot of them have, were seeking uh, asylum in this country. And the administration of Governor DeSantis transported them from San Antonio to Martha's Vineyards and said, if you all do not want to address the issue of immigration and the border policies, we are going to take some of these migrants and we are going to deposit them in a so-called sanctuary jurisdiction. Although it's my understanding Massachusetts is not a quote-unquote sanctuary jurisdiction. But the long and short of it is, is that this is something that Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been doing for months, but he's been busing. He's been busing migrants to places such as D.C. and New York City and Chicago. But this incident really put the entire discussion at a very high pitch in terms of uh, every, getting everyone's attention. And as it all kind of on information kind of began to come out, then you had the migrants talking to news reporters and then talking through their lawyers It said, we didn't know we were going to Martha's Vineyards. You know, we thought we were going to Boston. We were told that we were going to get help with jobs. And, you know, you had the DeSantis administration saying, well, no, you know, these people had been abandoned in San Antonio. They were hungry and they were homeless. And right. and we took them in and we put them up uh, in hotels for a couple of days and, and we told them what we were doing and where they were going. And so that's issue number one. But now, of course, it's 48 migrants and DeSantis has made it clear that he wants to send a message and that he wants to put the issue of immigration on the front burner in regards to what he and other Republicans say are the failings of the Biden administration. Right. So we've had that play out. And then, as you noticed, there's been a response. It has gotten a lot of people's attention. You've had a bunch of Democratic politicians say, hey, the Department of Justice needs to investigate as to whether or not there was a crime here. And then you had the Texas sheriff say he was going to investigate, although he didn't say what crime had necessarily been broken. You have the lawsuit that was filed on Tuesday. And then basically that makes a lot of allegations that all of this was done for fraudulent purposes. And there's some interesting elements to that as well, where they said, look, uh, DeSantis administration and, and the people that it used to carry out this transport basically uh, interfered with the immigration process. And they are, again, saying that they did it under false pretenses. And so they want a judge to stop DeSantis from doing any more of these operations. Uh, now, for his part, Governor DeSantis this week has defended it. And furthermore, he's also said that this is just the beginning. And this, uh, the DeSantis administration spent $615,000 to charter a plane to send them out there. So that was uh, one of the things that was being looked at as well, as specifically too, because these migrants were asylum seekers and they're using money that was set aside that was authorized by the Florida legislature, $12 million to pay for these trips. But uh, I think in some of the language, this is where it, it gets a, a little tricky again, too. That was for unauthorized aliens and these are asylum seekers. So, so there's a differentiation there as well. Right. That is part of the conversation that's going on. There's a couple of things. The, the budget language, which was there's a provision in the very back of the current state budget that the one that just took effect uh, July 1st. 
And it basically stated that it was money for the transport of unauthorized aliens, quote, from this state to somewhere else. So there's issue number one that some some Democrats have raised and said, well, they weren't taken from Florida. They were taken from Texas. And Governor DeSantis has responded by saying, well, we're not having huge amounts of people coming into the state like we did last year. Last year, there were some transports coming in that were apparently arranged by the federal government of immigrants coming into primarily uh, airport near uh, near Jacksonville. And the governor said, well, we decided to go to the source that we know that these people were in Texas. Now, what's interesting is also about this is that the Texas governor, Governor Abbott, who while his his administration said while they were pleased that Governor DeSantis was joining them and trying to draw attention to this issue, they said they were not directly involved in the flights. So anyway, you have that one element of it, which is, okay, does this comport with the budget language in that sense? And then the secondary part is, what do you define an unauthorized alien? And in debate about a related piece of legislation, not this budget provision, but a related piece of legislation, you had one Democratic state senator wanted to have it clarified that the definition of unauthorized alien did not apply to anyone fleeing a communist or socialist country like Venezuela or Cuba. The Republican state senator said on the floor, well, in regards to this definition of unauthorized alien, they said, well, those people aren't included. They're asylum seekers. We're not talking about them. So you have these two elements of, well, so is this operation strictly following the letter of what was in the budget? Now, the thing is, is that unless somebody decides to challenge it, sue over it, it's not something that's going to necessarily be resolved. It's going to be, you know, people can talk about it and they can use it. I mean, uh, Senator Annette Tadeo, who's a, a Democrat from Miami, who was one of the ones who raised questions about this months ago, she said today they're, you know, discussing whether or not to go to court. Probably what that would look like was you're talking about seeking an injunction to prevent the money being spent that way. But again, I don't know if that's going to happen. And what's, you know, just for what it's worth, since it was in the budget, this is a one year deal for this to go on beyond June 30th of next year would require approval again by the legislature. Gary Finout, reporter at Politico and author of the Florida Playbook. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. 
Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. This week, Uber also announced that it was the latest victim of the hacking group Lapsus, which broke into their internal network systems and posted messages to employees. This international group of hackers, which includes some teenagers in their ranks, has been motivated by notoriety more so than money and have targeted other top tech companies in the past year. For more on what to know about Lapsus, we'll speak to Bob McMillan, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Well, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Like you hear about the Russian nation state hackers or China trying to steal intellectual property or even ransomware people going for money. And this group, Lapsus, they seem to be after notoriety. It's almost like you've turned back the clock to the 90s or the 80s even. Remember that movie War Games where it's like a teenager who's like a hacker? I've interviewed some investigators who have been studying this group. for They've been around for just over a year or so. And they say that they really appear to have grown up from a community of very young people who are really obsessed with certain types of things they can do online, primarily taking over people's phones, something called SIM swapping, which is like an awful thing if it ever happens to you. Somebody t- basically takes over your phone number and uses the fact they have your phone number to then reset all of your online accounts and they can steal cryptocurrency and get into your Gmail. It's awful. A lot of the people in this group have come from this world and they've somehow morphed into an entity that's taking on the best and the brightest of technology <laughs> and winning. It's, re- it's really remarkable. Yeah, uh, you know, just one more to add to the list. There was a, a recent hack of uh, Rockstar Games as well for their new Grand Theft Auto 6 game. This same group is responsible for that, or so they say, right? Releasing a bunch of video and whatnot. And as you mentioned, you know, a lot of them, they're looking for this street cred. A lot of these uh, uh, are younger kids uh, in, in, uh, coming from Brazil and the UK. This is where they seem to be centered at. Yeah, this group Lapsus in particular. When it came on people's radar, it was attacking educational institutions, government organizations in Brazil. And then around March, it just went on a rampage and it hit all these big tech companies. But it's hit companies that haven't been publicly named, I understand. And they sort of seem to like a lot of the gaming companies. I mean, it's the kind of thing you imagine if you were a teenager, you know, you get (laughs) like a lot of street cred for hacking Rockstar or for, you know, another NVIDIA even is, you know, whose whose microprocessors are are widely used in, in video gaming. The other thing about this group is I mean, they can be very sophisticated themselves, but the operations that they're running are not very, very sophisticated. They said that the attacker might have uh, bought a username and password from an Uber contractor off the dark web. And so this is how they're getting in. These are not like the most sophisticated techniques. You buy a username and a password from somebody who's selling it on the dark web. And then if you try to get into somebody's account with a username and password, often they'll have a second factor. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever had these, but sometimes... I'll get a push notification. I'll get like right. a window will pop up on my phone and say, are, are you trying to log in to work right now? Yes or no. And so they're abusing that. And what they did in the Uber case, which is pretty interesting, is they so they buy this username and password, and then they just start sending these notifications. They keep trying to log in over and over and over again. And eventually the uh, contractor said, yes, like it's me. And it might, I, like, we don't know why that person did that. It might've been that they were just tired of getting all the notifications, or it might've been that they were trying to, <laughs> legitimately log in into their own account and they didn't know whose push notification they were say, saying yes to and it was the hackers. It's not like super sophisticated from a technological point of view, but it totally worked. 
Right. Yeah, that's just that constant barrage of notifications, as you mentioned. And, you know, a lot of cybersecurity experts say that there have been more focused on what they call zero day attacks. So this is exploiting, you know, software bugs, previously unknown software bugs. And that's what a lot of the focus is on right now. So for these guys to kind of come in on this other back door right now is just, uh, you know, surprising them as well. Yeah. And the truth is that there have been a lot of hacks, not even just attributed to lapses, but there have been, you know, the Twitter hack from a couple of years ago was, again, not super sophisticated. It was basically tricking somebody into doing something they shouldn't do. So the Wall Street Journal will occasionally write a story about it, a zero day for the iPhone. If the iPhone can be hacked by the super sophisticated technique, you know, that kind of technology can be sold for seven figures, you know, um, you can make a lot of money selling zero days, but you don't need to to get into some tech companies, right? You could just like trick somebody or annoy them with push messages or it's a big job to secure networks. And there are just a lot of ways in nowadays. We're talking about this hacking group Lapsus right now in this latest case with Uber. They got into their internal systems. Did they steal any information? Did they do anything else? Well, Uber says that they're not aware of any personal information, you know, my, you know, my, my, uh, <laughs> my Uber Eats uh, history being uh, downloaded or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. But this group has propensity for downloading source code. And so I don't, I don't know if they got that from Uber or not, but in a lot of the, the companies that they've hit before, they've downloaded, they've gotten in, they've downloaded the source code. And now if you take what the hackers say at face value, they made a couple of statements after they broke into Uber. And it sounded from what they were saying, like, they could have gotten anything they wanted. Like they seemed like they had very widespread access to Uber. Uber, So no risk to consumers so far, says Uber. But I don't know, they might have done a little bit more than just put some inappropriate images on the company Slack. Robert McMillan, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Have a nice day. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.